Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here with us today. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And as you can see from that intro, uh, we are starting a new series today entitled Exodus. It's about the second book of the Bible, uh, the Exodus. And Exodus just means the going out or the way out. And it was the story, it is the story of how the Israelites uh, found a way out or God led them on a way out is the accurate way to put it. God led them, showed them the way out of slavery. They had been in slavery for more than 400 years, and God delivered them. He rescued them. So it's a rescue story, and we're going to spend the next few weeks studying the book of Exodus. And if some of those images on the screen meant nothing to you, hopefully they will all mean something to you by the time we're finished, Uh, because it's a marvelous story. It's a story that happened about 1,500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so 3,500 years ago from right now. But the topics that are discussed in this um, message series, the issues that are dealt with in the life of the Jewish people and the life of Moses. These are things that, who is their leader? These are amazing lessons that still apply to all of us today. And you will be richly blessed if you're a part of this series from start to finish. So I want to encourage you to be a big part of it. Um, Inside your bulletin, you will find an outline. We'll start today with an introduction to the whole series. Uh, And the topic of today is God and Moses. And so you'll find a number of fill-in-the-blank items together with a number of scriptures from Exodus 1 and 2, the first two chapters, as well as a lot of supporting scriptures. And if you need a pen as we go along, just raise your hand. If you didn't grab it on the way in, that way you can take some notes and fill in the blanks. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, um, we need to understand who you are. And you're a God who rescues, you're a God who saves, you're a God who develops us into the kind of people you want us to be. And Exodus is all about that. And so, Father, today I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and you'll teach us some things we need to know. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for what you did in his life. Thank you, Lord, he recorded these words, and they've been preserved for us to this day. Help us to learn from them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Again, if you need a pen, just raise your hand. The ushers will uh, toss one to you. Uh, Point one on your outline is simply this, that Exodus is a story about God rescuing his people from slavery. Uh, In the margin here, you can write Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, Abraham had been called by God uh, to become a man who would follow him, and God would bless his descendants and make them a wonderful people, uh, the Jewish people. And so Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, And during a conversation that God had with Abraham in Genesis 15, he told him there'll be a time in the history in your family in the future, there'll be a time in your family's future when uh, they will be going down to Egypt and they'll be there for more than 400 years. God had predicted all this. But at the end of that time, I'll bring them back. Abraham was living in the land of Israel at that time. I'll bring them back and I'll make a great nation of them. And all that happened and how all that came about is the story of the Exodus. Abraham had a number of descendants. Probably one of the most famous was a man named Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Uh, Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was one of them. The other 11, or 10 of the other, uh, the other brothers, 10 of his brothers hated his guts. And they couldn't stand Joseph and, uh, because Jacob kind of made a, a big deal out of Joseph. He was his favorite, his pet. And so the other brothers became jealous and In Genesis, at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph is sold into slavery. His brothers think, good, we got rid of him. What they didn't know was that God had a special plan for Joseph's life. And Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, was sold as a slave down in Egypt. He eventually wound up in prison. But God was with him there. 
and allowed him to interpret the dreams of some people who'd been imprisoned who worked for the king of Egypt, for Pharaoh. And one day when Pharaoh had some dreams that were particularly disturbing, couldn't find anybody to understand him, Joseph was brought from the prison house to the White House, to the uh, top of Pharaoh's command. And when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams in which God was warning him of seven years of heavy-duty famine that were to come, well, Joseph was the one who could interpret it all. And so he's been placed in charge of all of Egypt. And then so 20 years later, after he'd been sold into slavery, here his brothers came. They were experiencing the famine where they lived too. And now Joseph was the one who would rescue them. And so all of the children of Israel, all the descendants of Abraham, all moved down to Egypt. And they became very numerous there. And this is where the story starts. This is from Exodus chapter 1, starting with verse 8. A new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us. And they are stronger than we are. We need to make a plan. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, well, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. They'll escape, then they'll escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied. And they spread. And the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. And the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. He knew. He'd made a promise to Abraham more than 400 years before and said, when the due time comes, I'm going to bring your descendants back here. I'm going to make a great nation of them. When the people of Israel cried out to God, he heard, their, he heard their cry. And there's a life application for you and me in that. God rescues those who cry out to him. God rescues those who cry out to him. Now, in America, we strongly believe that God helps those who help themselves. And if you can do that, you'll find a Google search. If you Google that quote, God, who helps, God helps those who help themselves, you'll find a lot of people looking for it in the Bible. Hesitations 5 is where that is, okay, if you wonder. There's no book called Hesitations either. I made that up too, okay? Uh, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. Ben Franklin was the most famous American. He quoted it in Poor Richard's Almanac, okay? That's where that came from. The truth is the Bible tells us that God helps those who cry out for help. So if you're here this morning, hear the good news. If you need wisdom, if you need help, if you need strength, If you need healing, if you need understanding on anything, cry out to God, and he will hear your prayers. He will hear your prayers. Psalm 69, 33, for the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. God wants us to come to him. Jesus said, come to me. Hey, if you're in trouble, come to me. If you need forgiveness, come to me. If you're covered up in worry, come to me. You're bound up in fear or anger or unforgiveness, come to me. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll show you the right way to live. And so before we get any further this morning, my friends, I want to remind us that God rescues those who cry out to him. And if you are not in a position where you need to hear that yourself today, I'm almost certain you know somebody who does need to hear that today. And I would love it if we could take these things and hand it to somebody and say, and together with a CD of this message or a direct imagine, say, you need to hear this. God has not given up on you. He loves you. And if you cry out to him, he'll help you. 
That's why the message of Jesus is called good news. If that's good news to you this morning, that God hears us when we cry out to him, would you say amen? Amen. Oh, it's good news. And my friends, there are people around us, they are just dying for some hope. They've tried sin. They have tried living their life their own way, and they have run it straight into the ditch. And they go, will God still love me? Will he forgive me? Well, come to him. Jesus said, come to me. He died on the cross to forgive us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Let's cry out to him. Another life application is this. It ties in. God desires to rescue all of us from slavery, for all of us from slavery to sin and the fear of dying. Slavery to sin and slavery to the fear of dying. The scripture says both of these things. Where do I get these ideas? From Titus and from Hebrews. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. I hope you caught that there, that we were slaves to our own sin and our many lusts and pleasures. I mean, that's all of us here. When you come to Jesus, we come as a sinner. We're saying, Lord, you got to save me. I don't deserve it. I'm, I'm bound up in this. Hebrews 2.15, the writer of Hebrews, talking about why Jesus came and died on the cross for us. He said, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And I'm asked by people from time to time, hey, well, you go, when you go and speak at a church, or when you speak on Sunday mornings, or you do all these things, do funerals and things, what kind of assumptions do you have of people who are there in the audience? And there's four or five of them. Let me share two of them. They're right here from these two scriptures. Two of the assumptions I make every time I speak, everywhere, and I open God's word, are these. One, there is at least one person there who is in slavery to a sin, to a habit, to unforgiveness, to fear, to a grudge, something that is controlling them. There's at least one person there who is bound up as a slave to this, and they need to know that Jesus can set them free. A second assumption I make is there's at least one person in every room that I've ever spoken that is a slave to the fear of dying. At least one. Now, when we're teenagers, it's not many of us. We're not that afraid of it. That's why we do such stupid things. Anybody else besides me? Okay. As a teenager, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Yeah, I can jump off of that. Watch this. Okay, or something. Okay. But as we get older, our mortality begins to grip our hearts. And now, my goodness, I meet people my age, and there are many people who are very nervous about dying. And there's always people anywhere I speak, somebody's going, I haven't made my peace with this yet. They may have just gotten a diagnosis this last week, or somebody very close to them just passed away, and it's shaken them. And they go, I don't have a plan for eternity. I don't know what happens to me. I don't think I'm right with God. Well, hear the good news. Jesus came to rescue us from that. Through faith in Christ Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins, we can know that our sins are forgiven no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. We don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Secondly, that same Jesus who died on the cross, he rose on Easter Sunday. He conquered death once and for all. You put your faith in him, he'll give you eternal life, and he knows the way. He blazed the trail, and he is our Savior. And so this morning, I want to tell you, if you are afraid of dying, come to Jesus. He can rescue you. If you are a slave to sin and there's some secret addiction, 
Surrender it to Christ today. If there is some secret hatred, some, something that has just bound you up, surrender to God today and come talk to one of us during the week. We'll help you. We're in this together. And God is good. And this rescue story of Exodus, it's a parallel to the rescue story of what Jesus came to do for all of us. You'll see it as it unfolds. I mean, we're going to end up with, right the week before Easter, we're going to be talking about the Passover from Exodus. I mean, you'll just see picture after picture, parallel after parallel. The God who saved his people 3,500 years ago is alive and well, and he's saving people today if we'll just come to him. So this is going to be fun because God desires to save us all. And Exodus is a story of rescue, of how God is rescuing his people from slavery. He's still in the rescue business today. Point two on your outline is this, that Exodus is also a story about God rescuing a man named Moses so that Moses could one day grow up and rescue God's people. God rescued Moses so Moses could become a rescuer. Exodus is a marvelous story, and there are so many insights from Moses' life as God works in his life. And Moses responds to what God is trying to teach him. You will see lesson after lesson. And if you and I use the scripture rightly, James says scripture is to be like a mirror to us. And if we read the story and look at ourselves, we will see parallel after parallel in our own lives, both from Moses' successes and his failures, as well as the people that he's trying to lead. So point A in that, under point two there, 2A is this, that God rescued Moses from genocide when he was a baby from genocide. Genocide is a systematic plan to eradicate a people group, to get rid of them. And that's what Pharaoh, when the, one of the pharaohs, when the time when Moses was born, the king of Egypt, was trying to do. He said, hey, these, this Israelite problem is growing. The more we push these people, the more they multiply and the stronger they become. And so Pharaoh came up with a plan Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. About that time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she got a basket, and if you'd circle that word basket there, made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. And soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And if you flip your outline over, it keeps going. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son, named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. And there's a note in your outline that reminds us of this. Moses means drawn out, drawn out of the water, or it could also be translated as rescued. Now, isn't that something? God hears the cries of his people in slavery. He's made a promise to Abraham centuries ago. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to rescue them. And the guy he chose to lead them in that rescue strategy was little baby rescue, little baby Moses. And here's another fun fact to know and tell. What's interesting is when his mom saw that he was a special baby, I mean, she knew from the moment he was born, God had something special about this baby. We don't know what exactly what it was, but she knew that she knew. God has a plan for this child. She hid the baby for three months, didn't know what to do with him. So she made a little basket. The word for basket is the same word that's used in Genesis when Noah built the ark. 
Noah built a big ark, sealed it with tar and pitch. Moses' mom built a little ark, sealed it with tar and pitch. Noah and all the an- Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, two of every animal, were saved from drowning in the big ark. Moses was saved in the little ark from drowning from being thrown into the Nile River by Pharaoh's troops who would have killed him had they found him. There was a rescue plan going on. God rescued Noah and all the animals. God rescued Moses. And if you and I read ancient Hebrew, that would stand out. We'd go, wow, this must be a big deal. God must have his hand on this boy. And he did. Little baby rescue. What was he going to become? Well, the good news for us is we're going to find out. After he was rescued, God trained, this is point B, God trained Moses to become a strong leader in Pharaoh's palace. Now, I hope the irony is not lost on you. Pharaoh's the guy who ordered all the little Hebrew boys drowned in the Nile River. But God had a different idea. This is from Acts 7, where Stephen is summarizing chunks of Exodus. He said, At that time when Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes, his parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. So Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. And so the Pharaoh, who wanted to kill all the Hebrew boys, paid for a first-class education for the guy who'd rescue all the Hebrews. I mean, I hope you love that. I love that. That is the God of the Bible. In fact, I mentioned Joseph earlier, and there's a note in your outline that reminds us of the truth about how God works. He does this over and over again, not only in Scripture, but many of you can bear testimony to this too, that God is bigger than our circumstances, smarter than our enemies. God is bigger than our circumstances. He is smarter than our enemies. Could you read that with me, please? God is bigger than our circumstances and smarter than our enemies. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Remember I told you about that? They thought they'd gotten rid of him. Well, all they did, in God's mind, was send him ahead so that one day the guy who was thrown out could be the one who rescued the people who threw him out. 20 years later, they're bound before him asking for grain because they're going to starve to death because of the famine. They're bound down before the one they sold into slavery. And when they realized who he is and what they had done, they thought he was going to kill them for sure. But here's what Joseph said to them. Joseph said, no, don't worry, don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but listen to this. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of his people. Pharaoh intended to kill all the little Hebrew boys. That edict is what got Moses in the little ark in front of Pharaoh's own daughter. And Pharaoh had to pay for his college. (laughs) Isn't that great? And God works that way. And my friends, he's not done working that way. And some of us can worry and fret because we got a new assignment at work or we didn't get a promotion or maybe we have to take a whole new job. We've had to move to Montgomery or Prattville and this was not, uh, the Air Force might have moved you here and you didn't plan on coming here at all. You might go, what on earth happened to me? How did I get here? God, you can't be serious. There's some big delay, some plan that was not fulfilled. This was not my way of thinking. Well, God asks us to trust him because his plans are bigger and better than anything we might ever conceive. And he is bigger than our circumstances and he is certainly smarter than our enemies. And we need to know that. Uh, A 
contemporary of, a little bit older probably than George Washington, I guess, was Voltaire, a French philosopher and writer, and he had predicted within 100 years of his death, the only place you'd ever find a Bible is in a museum, and he would make sure that the Bible was worth it because he just thought the whole thing was made up and worthless. And he wanted to do his part to bring it down. What's interesting is, is after he died, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and printed Bibles there. It's true. God is bigger than our circumstances, and he's smarter than our enemies. And some of you can bear witness to this. Some of the things you thought were the worst possible things 20 years ago, now you fall on your knees and praise God that he did not give you what you wanted. Because his plan was 100 times better than what you ever thought of. And so if you're making a big decision now when it comes to money, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to career, let me just appeal to you to trust in the Lord because he has great plans. And that brings us to our next point. You'd think with all that going for him, Moses would have known this all along, but the truth was is that Moses, he kind of figured about half of it out, but he tried to rescue God's people on his own. Now God had rescued him. And God had selected him, and God had even trained him right under Pharaoh's nose, and Pharaoh paid for it. And one day, when Moses was about 40, he'd figured all this out. He had. And Stephen tells us more. One day, when, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. It wasn't the right time, and there's the life application for you and me. God blesses us when we wait on his timing and his direction. God's timing and God's direction. Moses was the right man, and he realized that. He realized he was a Hebrew who had been trained in Pharaoh's own palace. He'd become mighty in speech and action. He'd been groomed for leadership. And Moses said, I'm ready to go. And one day when he saw this Egyptian slave handler out there mistreating one of his Israelite brothers, he got mad and he killed the guy, buried his body in the sand. He thought, well, now they'll all follow me. Surely they'll recognize that I'm the prince who's been groomed for this. But they didn't. It wasn't God's timing. God had never told him to go kill an Egyptian taskmaster. He'd never told him to do any of that. Moses did that all on his own. And it brought dire consequences. He hid the body in the sand. He didn't think anybody had seen him. Yet the next day when he came across two of his Israelite brothers fighting, he said, hey, brothers, don't fight. And they said, what, you're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses realized that the secret was out. And Pharaoh now put a price on his head, and Moses had to run for his life. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. Peter wrote about this as well. He said, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God will show you the direction, and he'll show you the timing. He'll show you the way to go and when to go there. But all too often, we run ahead of him. Man, we are certain that God's provided an opportunity and we launch right out and we get ourselves in a world of trouble. 
Anybody else ever done this besides me? Yeah, a lot of groaning going on. Mm. What happened to Moses? Ran ahead of God. And so if you are at a pivotal point now, this is more time. If you are struggling with a big decision about your career, a big decision about a relationship, like I said, this is the time to get closer to God than ever. When people come to me and they say, I've got a financial problem, they go, what should I do? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. And you're going to start reading your Bible every day. And they go, yeah, but practically, what do I do? Practically, we're going to pray and start reading your Bible every day. Practically. No, they go, what do I need to do? I don't want to, I mean, I know all that mystical kind of prayer stuff or whatever, but I'm talking about something that's real. Yeah, so am I. A real God who really has a better idea for your life and mine than you and I do. A real God who knows the future as well as he knows the past. A real God who understands all the complexities of the whole universe and knows every hair on my head and every hair on your head. And he knows what's best for us. And if Moses would have just surrendered to God and hung on a little longer, who knows how things might have turned out in his life. But as a result, he had to run. And that brings us to point D. Because of Moses' actions, God continued to train him in humility and patience. By the time it was all done, Moses had a Ph.D. in humility and patience. He learned it all. Moses fled the country, again from Acts 7, where Exodus 2 is summarized here. Moses fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There he met his wife and had some children, became a shepherd working for his father-in-law. And 40 years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush and said, and God said to him, now I want you to go back and leave my people out. He was 80. He wasn't a 40-year-old hothead who was demanding, who was hoping, well, come on now. Come on, you're going to mess with these guns? Huh? I got it. That was Moses at 40. Moses at 80 was a man that God could use. In fact, the note in your outline says that in time, Moses became a humble leader that God could trust. That's how Numbers describes him. When he was leading the people now as an old man, here's how Moses is described. Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And the Lord said about Moses, of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face. You know, we are so self-consumed and we are so worried about our own appetites and so obsessed with our own fears and desires that hardly ever do we stop and go, hey God, what do, what do you need from me? I mean, all our prayers are about, hey God, what do I need from you? God, I need a new car. God, I need more money. God, I need a bigger job. God, I want more responsibility. God, how come I'm not getting more recognition? And these are prayers over and over and over. More, ple- more power, more pleasure, more stuff. Come on, God, bless me more, more, more. And hardly ever do we go, hey, God, what are you needing from me? Because the Bible describes our relationship with God, that God desires a relationship as a father and his children, that he's raising us to become like him, responsible, conscientious, trustworthy. And so, God, you can trust me with more, really? Are we trustworthy? Jesus told a story once of a uh, man who, a master who went away on a trip. 
Oh, this is life application, by the way. God can and will use us if we humbly trust him and obey his commands. And obey his commands. Jesus told the story of a master who went away on a trip, and while he was gone, he entrusted his servants with a certain amount of his wealth according to their abilities. And when he came back, he rewarded them according to how they had done. And for the servants who had acted wisely and been good stewards of the master's money and his possessions, here's what he said. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities that celebrate together. You know what God wants for us? He wants us to grow up and mature and become good stewards of what he's given us. But we just want more stuff. God, I need more money. Well, but you're not balancing the checkbook on the money you already have. God, I need a new car. You don't even vacuum out the one you're driving now. And when's the last time you changed oil on that thing? God, I'm ready for all this responsibility at work. I need to be elevated there. You've shown up late to work three times in the past three weeks, and you still aren't finished with a project that was supposed to be done last month. Why am I going to bless you with stuff when you can't set the example, when you're not willing to step up and be the leader? Why do you want leadership when you're not ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, he'll direct you. Don't elevate yourself because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In due time, he'll lift you up. But God, I want it now. I want more now. I'm mature and I can handle it. Good, I'm glad you laughed at that. And we act like silly, spoiled children. For Moses, it was another 40 years, and at the end of 40 years, he could handle it. And as you'll see as we go through these weeks, he handled it beautifully. And my friends, there are so many leadership lessons that we're going to uncover. I I hope you don't miss any of the weeks of this series. This book, the Bible, is amazing. John 14, 21, Jesus said, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. If you have desired for God to reveal more of himself to you, let me ask you a question. What are you doing with what he's already revealed? If we are faithful in obedience to level one revelation, he'll say, good job. Now you're ready for level two. But we want to pole vault right to level five. And we're not even obeying what he told us to do last week. God, give me more. All right. Be faithful with what you got. And when Moses learned to be a patient, humble leader who would go when God said go, who would stay when God said stay, all his own ambitions were gone now. He wasn't some mighty prince who'd been trained as Pharaoh under Pharaoh. He was now just a humble servant willing to do whatever God wanted. And when you and I get to the place where we humble ourselves before God and we say, God, if you say thou shalt not, then I shalt not. If you say do more, I'll do more. If you say pray, I'll pray. God, I don't have anything more important on my agenda than to figure out what you want me to do with my life. And so I'm going to spend time with you every day because your opinion matters more to me than my opinion. And that's where God wants us. That's where he got Moses. 
And because Moses was that way, God was able to do amazing things in and through his life. You want God to do amazing things in your life? You want to be set free from fears and sins that control you? You want to be set free from the slavery to the fear that you're going to die one day and God's going to be up there and he's ready to smite you, whatever smite means. You can be set free from all that if you and I will come to him and surrender our lives to him. And that's his desire. He knows the way out. And he wants to take us all to what he has promised and the blessings he has in store for us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you for Moses again. Lord, I thank you for what you did in his life. I thank you, Lord, his life can be an example. And I don't have to learn from, I can learn from his mistakes. And I don't have to experience all of it myself if I'm willing to listen. So, Lord, I just pray that you will speak to each one of us. Father, for someone here this morning who has been held captive by sin, there's a secret addiction and a secret grudge or maybe just a grudge they can't let go of, a fear that controls them. An anxiety that robs joy out of every day. Lord, I, I want to proclaim freedom through Jesus. In a moment of silence, if something is controlling you and you know who you are, surrender it to Jesus right now and say, God, I need your help. I want to be set free. I'm crying out to you, Lord, please help me. If that's not you this morning, but you know someone and you say, oh, that isn't me, but that's my brother, that's my cousin, that's the neighbor next door, would you pray for that person right now? Somebody is so bound up and controlled by sin, they can't hardly live. Would you pray for them right now and say, oh, God, help them. I'm praying on their behalf. Please help them. Please rescue them. If you know someone like that, pray for them right now and say, God, we need your help. They need your help. If there's someone here this morning and you've been a slave to the fear of dying, you're afraid. You don't know where to turn. Jesus saves. He rescues. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. And through faith in him, by giving our lives to him, we will conquer death too. We'll live forever with him. Come to him today and say, God, I surrender my life to you. Save me. Rescue me. Cry out to him. He will hear you. And finally, if you've got a big decision to make in your life, you need direction. Or things are going hard, and you don't feel like you're getting your fair shake at all. People should recognize you for more. Life should be better. Pray to God and say, God, help me understand my circumstances from your point of view. Help me see what you want. Help me become a person who's trustworthy. What do you want for my life? Where are you leading me? Oh God, I pray that through this series, I pray that through spending time in your word, I pray that through time and fellowship with our brothers and sisters, I pray that as we spend time on our knees in prayer, we will come to know your voice and we will trust that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what's better for us than we could ever dream of, and we don't have to figure out life on our own. Help us not be afraid or angry. 
or prideful. We come to you and we surrender our lives to you. Show us the way out of sin. Show us the way to heaven. Show us your plan for our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. The strong name of Jesus. Amen.